0: So today's reading, James chapter one, verses one to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business.
1: Okay, well, um, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak today. And I noticed that they spent all of their printer ink on printing out the the Bible passage on on the back, the sermon outline. So please keep this handy, because I'm going to be working through and making references to a number of um, key words throughout. throughout. So uh, we're starting a series on the book of James. And I wonder what words come to you as you think of the book of James. Maybe the Bible reading was the first time you've ever heard from the book of James. Or maybe it's a book that you've worked your way through many times over. Um, So I wonder what word is it for you that comes to mind? For me, the word is practical, and I've heard it on the lips of other people as well. James is practical. We like James. He's very direct and applied, no complicated symbols. But then, I wonder, um, as we sort of hit the start of the book of James, whether um, you know, his practicality is called into question a little bit, because uh, I start scratching my head when we read in verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Huh? Uh, what planet is James on? Is he, is he crazy? Is he exaggerating for effect? Maybe he wants us to sort of whack ourselves on the head a little bit just so we can all increase our joy, is that it? Um, maybe, maybe he's sort of advocating like a, a, a I don't know, a, a fake, um, sanitized, saccharine kind of joy, like nothing to see here, I'm really good, <laughs> you know? Um, what's going on? It's clear that James is advising some very upside down logic. Well, thankfully, James is sane and practical, uh, but it's also clear we can't just skim over his advice as if it was a bus ticket proverb. So we need to chew on it and uh, think it over and put it into practice. And so I'm gonna work through uh, four pictures that James gives us, and each of these is a contrast, and that helps us build up our understanding of how to be wise and humble and to trust in God. And so these are the ones that I've put in the leaflet. You can see them there. So there's trials versus joy humble versus, uh, sorry, folly versus wisdom, humble versus rich, and death versus life. And you might wonder, well, what's connecting these uh, pictures? Well, I think the underlying theme is perspective. Like with the optometrist sketch, where's your focus in life? So, we can be tempted with the topics of hardship or with money to make a host of relative comparisons. So, you know, up or or down from where we might happen to be. But God helps us shift our vision entirely for a different focus. And to do that, we need wisdom. And that's wisdom that comes through Jesus. We can tend towards self help. You know, it's all up to you or me to make the most of our situation and we can pride ourselves on being self-reliant. But James helps shift the focus from us to put the focus onto God, and the wisdom that comes from God through knowing Jesus. So with that in mind, let's take another look at James's doozy of an opening. So what do you think are the key words in this sentence of verse two? Let's take another look. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Well, certainly trials is the topic, but did you notice that the instruction is for whenever you face trials, and that there are many kinds of trials? In other words, James is not speaking to some specific pastoral situation, um, but to many kinds of trials. His letter was to the scattered tribes of Israel, to Christians sort of all everywhere from maybe a Jewish background. Um, But his, his view encompasses you and me today. His letter is broad. Uh, And so he's got your struggles and my struggles in mind too. And notice that it says, whenever, not if ever. So you can't escape trials. Uh, Life has its ups and its downs. So it's kind of like a roller coaster. Uh, But regardless of where you're at, James wants us to have a constant view, a constant view on God who's up here, sort of separate from the ups and downs of life. Now... For most of us, it isn't too hard to pinpoint those low points, is it? The challenges that we face. Have you ever been in a situation where there's a pain point? Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, and all of your energy just gets focused onto that, coping with that. It can be quite common to feel numb, or lifeless, or just exhausted. And sometimes it can be really hard, when you're coping with that, to focus on anything else. And that might also include sort of forgetting about God. Maybe you wonder, well, where's God in all of this? And for some, there's the double trial of suffering and silence. So there's the underlying issue, that's one trial, but then there's the fact that nobody else really knows or sees or understands your situation. Or in other situations, it can be the opposite, that the hardship is quite visible, and there are well-intentioned words and actions from Family and friends, but they aren't necessarily um, helping, and they could potentially be adding an extra burden. So when you see hardship uh, in others or in the world, do you struggle to know what to do? I find myself uh, you know, wanting to engage, but then not knowing how. And then um, at other times, I can completely disengage. So I think when I'm scrolling through my news feed and I see various headlines, and some of them are just so um, terrible that I, I just won't even go there, even though I know it's an important thing for society to grapple with. We live in a broken and fractured world. So can James be serious when he talks about pure joy? Intellectually, I know that God sees my trials and that God's words and actions in Jesus, well, they're healing, but pure joy can sometimes feel far-fetched. If you're like me, you can fixate on these words, pure joy. But there are two key words that I want to point out to you, and they're the ones that we skim over just before it. So take another look with me. Verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. James is not saying that trials equal pure joy. He's saying that we should consider it as if they were. So there's a mental reframing here. So when someone shares their burden with you, it's right to listen and perhaps say, I'm really sorry to hear that, or that's terrible, or something similar. Or if you're going through a hard time, it's okay to feel down. Trials are trials. They're not joy. You're at the bottom in the pits, okay? so. Um, They're not joy in and of themselves. But James is asking us to think radically differently about trials than the world does. The world will seek to reflect on the high points in life. So think of the roller coaster, there are lows, but there are highs, and then any advice you hear that starts with the words at least. So at least you've got your health, at least you've got your family, friends, memories, or other positive things to focus on. And and that can be good, okay? They're all good things. So it's good to be at the top of the roller coaster in life. But we're asked to focus on a constant that's even higher up. And we're given a reason. Did you see it there in verse three? It's the word because. Let's look at verse three. Uh, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, one of my favorite things in reading the Bible is seeing how God makes lemonade out of lemons. The whole Bible is just littered with examples of this. And here, the trials are the lemons, but they produce a lemonade of perseverance and maturity. Now, I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, I'm being punished, or maybe God just doesn't care. Well, that's not the case. There's a bigger picture. God can use your trials. I think the picture's one of endurance, like an endurance race. Every time you exercise your faith, your fitness is improved. God helps you to persevere to run the race. And at the start of verse four, did you notice there's the word let there? Let perseverance finish its work. We focus on every footstep of the race, and we're really tempted to pack it in and give up at times. But the instruction is to let, so let God use you. We're not complete yet, but we're being made complete. God helps us to focus on the finish line. It's that picture of being made complete. That's where the joy lies. Looking to God and his good work, so looking up at that constant, looking to God and his good work and his work in you not the rat race, not the roller coaster. And jumping ahead a little bit, but in verse 12, we see that there's a heavenly crown of life for those who persevere. It's promised for those that love him. So we're not yet complete, but if you love God, you're being made complete and you'll be rewarded in heaven with a crown of life. The question is, though, what, what will sustain us through the race and help get us to the finish line? And James's answer is heavenly Gatorade, I mean, um, heavenly wisdom. So (laughs) um, let's move to the next picture of folly versus wisdom. Verse four, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now, um, I'm a uni lecturer, and so I like to joke that this part is like the uni student's prayer. So we've just finished the exam period, and I'm sure that there were more than a few students who sort of maybe hoped that God would be like some kind of genie, where the prayer goes something like this, dear God, you know I haven't studied. but I know you're, you're generous, and you, you, you don't find fault, and so you see, I've just got this exam coming up. Um, I, I, I digress a little, but um, unfortunately for those students, knowledge and wisdom, they're, they're not the, the same thing. So what, what sort of wisdom is it that's on view in this passage? Well, it's the wisdom that enables you to see trials as joy. And I'd like that wisdom. And I know it doesn't come naturally. So I'd just like to conduct a quick sort of straw poll survey from the room. Is anyone here who has achieved perfection lately, maturity, or completeness, maybe in the past week? Anyone? Just stick your hand up if that's you. <laughs> maybe, is there a hand? OK. I think, um, no, That the application's actually really clear for all of us. Ask God for wisdom to persevere and be made complete. So James's advice here is not like a self-help book. Secular books, they won't point you to God. They can be useful, but they won't point you to God or your need to trust in him. James directs our focus to God for help. So James is like a God help book or God please help book. And so this verse, it says, uh, God gives generously to all and without finding fault. So God's right there, he's generous, he's itching to bless us with wisdom. And he doesn't promise to remove the hardship, but he does promise wisdom to everyone who wants it. Now, isn't it good that God doesn't find fault? We sort of think, oh, but I don't deserve wisdom. Let me give you a snapshot of my daily walk. It goes something like this. I labor with guilt, then I distract myself, I make other priorities, I let myself get tired, get lazy, forgetful, then I debate and overanalyze in my head, um, then I get angry. I tell myself I shouldn't get angry, but then I get angry anyway, and then I wallow that I'm so fickle. Uh, <laughs> um, I, maybe you're just exhausted listening, right? <laughs> um, maybe, maybe you share some of my habits, right? It's actually much easier to come to God. Um, And the good news is that he doesn't find fault, he's generous. And so if you're like me, then eventually at some point, when you're completely exhausted, you think, oh God, it's a mess. Um, But thank you that I can come to you and hand it over. Um, So here I am handing you this mess. Um, But thank you that you're good and generous and you help me to see the joy. And that joy that knowing that I'm forgiven because of Jesus Please help me to be wise, and I'm sorry that I stuffed things up. So aren't like simple, honest uh, prayers really, really powerful? They're the ones when I'm really, really tired, and I sort of think, oh, why did I have to go through all of that? I, I should have just done this sooner. So the advice of James is just ask. Know that God is good and generous without finding fault. Now, in verse 6, James says not to doubt And we think, well, maybe God hasn't answered my prayers, or at least how I wanted, because I didn't trust 100%. We all have doubts and and loads of questions. So what does James mean when he says, don't doubt? Well, have a think about the picture that he gives us. It's quite vivid. There's this unstable boat that's being tossed about by the waves. This is a picture of folly. And this picture is in contrast to the picture of the person who asked God for wisdom. To make sense of this word doubt, though, we really need to see in verse eight, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So double-minded means uh, serving two masters. You can't satisfy them both. Uh, it's you know being in two minds. It's as if this person is hedging somehow fooling themselves that God doesn't see through their trick, that they're just treating God like an insurance policy, like a a just-in-case, but not actually believing in him. Now, um, the unstable person is therefore someone who's not trusting God at all, really. And this is completely different from someone who's believing in God, but not understanding why um, they're suffering trials or that there are things happening to them. So I really want you to see that those two things are different. If you have doubts or questions, that that James isn't speaking to you here. James is speaking to the person who is double-minded and unstable. Now, what's a really common way that people might um, hedge with God? It's true today. It's true thousands of years ago in James' time. There are lots, actually, but there's one really prevalent, timeless example, and that's our attitude to piling up money. It was Jesus' example when he spoke to serving two masters, and it's the same example that James turns to here. So let's look at this third picture, the humble versus the rich, verses 9 to 12. You might be tempted to think, well, James has changed topic here, but there's a really, really strong thread. The focus here in verses 9 to 12 is on humility. Humility is all about perspective. Perspective. Just like how we look at our trials, that's about perspective too. So money was a really widespread trial in James's day, and I think it is today as well. Um, James says a lot more about this topic in chapters two and five especially, so we'll be looking at that in future weeks. Um, but it seems that there was a widespread situation in James's day where there were poor people who were being oppressed and underpaid, and possibly at the hands of Christians too. And poverty was a real thing. So, very directly, one of the the key trials that needed prayer and wisdom could have been the widespread poverty of the day, and that there could be a temptation of envy or against not trusting that God is good. Money is such an upside down topic, isn't it? You know, it's something that creates noticeable differences between us. You know, we notice it when people are driving different cars, or they live in different areas, or they attend different schools, or they can afford certain holidays. You know, we're very aware of it, um, where we sit in some sort of spectrum, and we're generally aware of where others sit. Money isn't a bad thing, per se, but how we use it is a real litmus test of our hearts. So when God looks upon this room, all of us, do you think he notices differences in social standing? Some people here are financially poor, and may well have been in a tough place for quite some time. Some are quite well off, and there are many in the middle, um, probably also quite well off, but maybe just not feeling it because of all of the various stretches. So, and the thought of even discussing wealth, it can you know, make us all tense up a little bit, but God's priorities are really different to our priorities. Living is not a game where the person who makes the most money wins. You can't get to heaven and say, see God, here's my amazing pile of money, what do you think, you know? Um, we can be really proud of our self-reliance but this can actually block us from relying on God. We shouldn't take pride in ourselves. Instead, James emphasizes that we should take pride in God regardless of our position, whether you're high and wealthy or whether you're lowly and poor. For those with wealth, you need to see that it's temporary, like flowers that will be destroyed in the sun. You know, we've been reading a lot in the news lately about interest rate rises, and um, you know, there are businesses going bust because they've been over-leveraged, they didn't expect the, the sharp increase, and recovering from COVID, and we're probably entering into a recession, all of these things, and we think about money, and we kind of realise that you know, our earthly treasures that we store up, they can actually be lost in a moment, can't they? So it's best that we don't place our trust in them, we should place our trust in something permanent. If you're like me though, it's kind of natural to want to seek comfort, uh, you know, seek riches and seek comfort. And so it's completely counterintuitive to hear that our status before God has nothing to do with our status in, in the world and vice versa. In, in fact, um, the more money and comfort you have, the bigger the risk because it can easily become a kind of wisdom but without God. James gives us a different perspective. God's wisdom is upside down to our wisdom. And it works because it's not about the up and down of life, the roller coaster, but because God has better things for us to focus on, trusting in Him. The challenge is though, we're so focused on the differences we we see before us, rich and poor and those in comfort or in hardship, we can be very tempted to say, it's not fair. Trust me, I know that phrase, I've got nine-year-olds. It's not fair, right? (laughs) Um, And by extension, the temptation can maybe be to feel that God is not good. And that's where James takes us with this last contrast in verses 13 to 18 to see that God is good. So this last contrast um, is a contrast around the word of birth. So in verse 15 we have sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And that word full grown, it's actually the same word we had before. Um, So before it was um, ask for wisdom so you can persevere so you can reach maturity and completeness. Well here, in verse 15, when sin is full grown, so mature and complete, it gives birth to death. And the contrast, the flip, is um, verse 18. He chose to give birth through the word of truth. So this last contrast helps clarify that God is good and we should not let ourselves be tempted to blame God. You know, Under trial, we can be tempted to shake our fists and get angry and, and think God's not fair, and maybe that he's tempting or testing us, And in fact, those two words, they're interchangeable. So verse 13 gives the word tempt and verse 12 gives the word test. They're, They're one and the same though. But James asserts that God doesn't tempt or test and he's not tempted by evil. In other words, God has no desire to cause you or me to sin. Instead, at the heart of our issue is that we all have evil desire. We all have it. It's sitting there a bit like a pilot light. When trials come along, that's like some source of oxygen and fuel, and then, whew, you know, all of a sudden it burns up and, and we get aggravated. And sadly, um, in verse 15, we read about this process of downfall, and sadly, it's one that we can know all too well to be true. Desire conceives, it gives birth to sin, and sin matures to death. There's a common saying along similar lines. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Our evil desire can lead us to reject God and that's to our peril. But there there are opposites here. A sinful desire can give birth and mature to death, but instead, know that God is making us mature and complete if we trust him. Take a look with me at verse 16. Uh, It says, do not be deceived. I think a red-letter Bible should sort of highlight those words, don't be deceived in big letters. Why is it said? Well, um, they're there because, guess what? We can be deceived, and of course, um, we don't know if we're being deceived, and so therefore we're deceived. So it has to be pointed out to us. James wants us to know that God is um, especially good. Our temptation could be to grumble, shake our fists, and feel that God isn't fair, but instead know that God gives good gifts, and he gives um, birth to us through the word of truth, equipping us in wisdom, and rewarding us with a crown of life. Now that word of truth, Before we wrap up, I wanna spend a little while thinking about that phrase in verse 18, word of truth. The word of truth is how God gives wisdom, the sort of wisdom that can see trials as pure joy. So we read, so verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So this verse shows us God's plan, his plan and purpose for your life. Um, His goal is that we're a foretaste or first fruits of a new creation through the word of truth. Now, what's the word of truth? Well, it's the good news through Jesus. What other words of truth are there? If you want to have wisdom, if you want to persevere through trials, if you want to have joy, if you want to be made complete or whole, if you want to have humility, it all comes from knowing Jesus. Now, some of you might say, well, hang on, Jesus isn't mentioned anywhere here. It's not like one of Paul's letters where he's constantly talking about Jesus or the Messiah or Christ. So how can I say that all of this comes from Jesus? Well, hear me out. James is uh, the author here, and he's the younger brother of Jesus, and he was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This entire section is littered with the words of Jesus, not just a few oblique parallels, but some really, really strong themes. Now, as maybe a bit of homework, uh, I'd like all of you to read through the book of James, but also read through the Sermon on the Mount. So that's Matthew um, Five to seven. In fact, on the screen, um, I've listed a whole bunch of uh, points where you could, you could make some of these parallels. So the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about trials. He talks about being complete and perfect. He talks about our treasure, our temporary riches, asking for wisdom, good gifts, and the wise versus the foolish. So James's words echo Jesus' words. Jesus is ultimately the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me just give you an example of one of these. I didn't prepare a slide beforehand, so I'm just gonna read um, from Matthew chapter seven, just going to find it, um, verses seven to 11. My apologies, I didn't prepare this before. So here we go. Have a listen out for any of the parallels. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Oops. So, hope you saw it, James exhorts us to ask for wisdom, just like he, you know, in verse five he did that, and it was very similar there in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus exhorted his listeners to ask and seek and knock. And James exhorts us to not be deceived and to know that God is good, just as Jesus was at pains to point out that um, even though we know how to give good gifts, our Heavenly Father knows even more how to give good gifts. So to summarise, God's wisdom is upside down to our wisdom. He humbled himself to death on a cross and he suffered so that you and I would receive life. He knows um, suffering and he gives life. Now, we know that we struggle with many different burdens. We have high points and we have low points. And we can sort of get confused on where to look and, and what to value and where to focus in the end. So what should we do? Well, one, ask God for his wisdom through Jesus, the word of truth. And keep reading God's word because this is the way that we listen and hear God speaking to us. He will give wisdom, he knows your situation. So ask and listen. Two, be humble before God. Focus on God and seek joy in him. He blesses those who love him, we're told by James. Three, do not be deceived. God seeks good gifts for you. He wants you to have joy, to be wise, mature and whole, and to receive the crown of life. Now, I don't know of any self-help book that proclaims any of that. How great is God that we can freely come to him for help, that he's so generous, and that he doesn't find fault? Let's pray about those things. Dear God, thank you that Jesus suffered for our sake, Uh, that you meet us in your trials and that you understand and give joy um, that's apart from our trials. Help us to trust you in all things. Thank you that we can come to you. Please give us wisdom to see you more clearly that we wouldn't trust in the things of the world that are temporary. Thank you that you're a great and good God. Amen.
0: Thanks so much for that, Michael. There were so many points that I could uh, talk about